0: Some lunch and put some gas in my truck. And on my way out of the service station door, I bumped into a man wearing the blue and khaki uniform of the United States Marine Corps. I believe he must have been a recruiter because as soon as I said, Excuse me, and stepped to the side so that he might pass, he leaned in and said, Son, Are you ready to better yourself and see this world in service to your country as a member of my core? I was just ready for my club sub. (laughs) So I politely mumbled something about college, and I think I even made a little gesture with the sandwich to try and indicate that it was time for lunch. But what I remember most about that day is how he looked at me as I headed back to the truck. I'm not sure how to describe the look that he gave me. It wasn't wasn't mean. There wasn't any malice in it. But I wouldn't really call it friendly either. It was kind of contemptuous. It was almost disdainful. There may well have been some pity in it. But y'all can understand that, right? I mean, I, I had plans. I had a sandwich to eat. I had a drive to make an, an, embarrassing large, an embarrassingly large amount of laundry to do when I finally got to my parents' house. I had college to finish, grad school applications to turn in, I had a career plan, I had a girlfriend, I had a life. And that's really it, isn't it? I had a life to live. Hopes and dreams, goals and ambitions. I didn't want to go off on somebody else's adventure. I wanted to make my own adventure, call my own shots, make my own mistakes, write my own story. I'm reminded of this run-in whenever I read stories in the Bible about God calling people to go and serve. I wonder sometimes if they felt like I did. Like life was going smoothly, a a foundation was getting established, plans were being made. And then all of a sudden, as the Bible likes to say, the word of the Lord came. And just like that, everything tied down came loose. I mean, think about Abraham. Right? His is the primary story when we think about stories like this. His story is where the sermon gets its title. Abraham is doing just fine for himself. He has a house and some herds. He has a wife who loves him. He lives in a valley that is as beautiful as it is fertile. Everything is coming up aces for old Abe. And then one day God comes to Abraham and God says, go. Go from your country. Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go. He's going to Canaan the promised land where generations of his descendants will eventually end up living. But he doesn't know that yet. God just says, go. And he goes. He answers the call. By any measure you want to use, at the time of his calling, Abraham had arrived. He had flocks, herds, servants, family, and friends. It was a good life. A life that anyone could be envious of. A life that anyone would be proud to have for themselves. A good life. But not exactly the life that God had in mind for him was good. But it wasn't Canaan. Living a good life is, of course, a blessing. To live a life like Abraham had is nothing to be taken for granted. And to, end, to upend that life, to go to Canaan, To leave your country and your kindred and your father's house is not a decision to take for granted either. Every one of us here could name people who would tell us that to make such a decision is madness. And yet each one of us here also follows a God who calls. Moses and Samuel, Ruth and Sarah, Peter, Paul, and Mary. They can all attest to the fact that our God has a terrible habit of interjecting Himself into people's lives and calling them to follow, to go where they are led, to go to a place that is promised. To go, in other words, to Canaan. In our gospel text today, Jesus called the crowds with his disciples and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus, as it turns out, would have made a terrible headhunter. But the truth remains the same. Follow me, he says. Leave behind your complacency and your comfort and follow me. And what do we do when he does? What do we do when he says that to us? By and large, I think we tend to appreciate our lives and our comforts. But at the same time, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think that we also know that life is about more than comfort. We know, even if we don't always like to admit it, we know that there is something else out there. Something beyond the creature comforts that we endeavor to surround ourselves with. Perhaps our life is good, but we know that it's not quite great. Or perhaps our life is great, but we know that at its heart it is missing something that is truly good. And so we keep searching and we keep striving and we keep achieving and accumulating more and more and more, and we keep having to realize that as much as we have achieved and as much as we have accumulated, there remains something that we haven't. There is something out there that eludes us. And then we hear the second half of Jesus' call to the crowds. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, he says. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, they, in fact, will find it. What an odd promise that even if you and I go out and we do our best, even if we are high achievers, you know, if we climb the ladder, if we conquer the world, if we win the rat race, but we do it only for ourselves then we will find ourselves eternally unsatisfied. But if we instead answer the call of our God, if we seek our neighbor's well-being alongside our own, if we use our gifts, talents, and resources in ways that are genuinely selfless, if we serve the Lord instead of the market, then we will actually find the peace that you and I and all of our neighbors always and everywhere search for in this world. At first glance, one might wonder how anybody could ever possibly believe such a thing. And yet after a moment's thought, I think we might actually wonder how anyone could ever possibly deny it. One final story, and then I'm done. My friends, make no mistake. I hear exactly how flaky this kind of a promise can sound. That when you give your life to God, you actually receive it back and in a way that makes it truer than it was before. And yet, that very thing happens all around us, all the time, even if those stories don't always get told. It actually happened to a friend of mine from seminary. He was in his 30s and before he came to Duke he was living high on the hog. He was a young executive at a major corporation up in Charlotte and his career had taken off like a rocket. His work allowed him to travel all over the country, all around the world. He had a great apartment, a nice car. Steady girlfriend? He was on his way to mandatory retirement in his 50s with full corporate benefits. The world, my friends, was his oyster. And then one day he realized that God was calling him to something else. Something more. And he decided to step out in faith and answer God's call. He told his boss, who reluctantly accepted his resignation. He told his girlfriend, who dropped him like a rock. (laughs) Told him that there was not a chance she was going to end up a preacher's wife. My friend packed up his things, found a renter for his apartment, and headed off to Duke alone. During the school year, he would live in a converted garage behind somebody's house. During the summers, while most of us benefited from internships at high steeple churches all around the southeast, my friend somehow kept getting shuffled off to the smallest poorest country churches in central North Carolina. He spent one summer sleeping in a barn. Not a barn that had been romantically converted into a guest house, but an actual functioning barn on a farm with a naked light bulb swinging over his cot and a bull sleeping about seven or eight feet away. After it was all said and done, by no fault of his own, my friend never actually got ordained as a pastor. Somehow, the bureaucracy of the United Methodist Church kept losing his ordination paperwork. And so after graduation, he got a job with the Duke Endowment, a $3 billion nonprofit that's headquartered in the Carolinas. He began working in their rural church initiative. It turns out that spending those summers out in the middle of nowhere gave my city friend a heart for poor country churches who are just trying to do their best to love their neighbors with what they have. And this is where the story gets interesting. You see, the Duke Endowment isn't headquartered just anywhere in the Carolinas. It's headquartered in Charlotte. So my friend was able to move back home. But not just that, he was actually able to move back into his old apartment that he'd been renting out to somebody else. He rejoined his old gym. He even got to go back to his old church, the community that had nurtured him and supported his call to ministry in the first place. But there's more. Not long after he came on board, the Duke Endowment moved into a new, nicer suite of offices that had just become available in a downtown high-rise. Because the company that had been working out of them for years, my friend's old company, had just moved into different office space. Do you see? My friend gave everything up. He set aside his entire life in order to serve his Lord. He quit his job. He left his home. He even lost his girlfriend. God came to him and said, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. Go to the place that I will show you. And when he did, my friend found it all being returned to him. He lives in his old apartment, goes to his old gym, attends his old church. He even works in the very same office suite and parks in the same parking deck that he used to. And all the while, he is using his business background to help dozens and dozens of small country churches love and serve their neighbors. My friend gave up his life for his Lord and then had it all given right back. It was all the same. And yet somehow it was truer. And that's how it works even if not always so precisely. You give up something of your life. You choose to serve your Lord. And then you find what you've given up being offered right back to you. Sometimes it's as specific as my friend's story. More often than not, though, it all just rhymes with what came before. Because when God calls you to go to Canaan, God does not expect you to become a different person. God doesn't discard or dismiss the gifts and the talents that you've cultivated over the years. Instead, those gifts and those talents find a new home, a new purpose sometimes even a new life. For those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life, for my sake, those people will save it. What an odd, odd claim. And yet how so very true. Thanks be to God. Amen. My friends, not everybody is called to make the same kind of journey that Abraham and Sarah go on. But everybody is called to a place. Not everybody is called to full time ordained ministry, like my friend and I have been. But everybody is called to serve. The only question that remains is will you answer? as we stand now together.